Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us this evening, uh, it is an honor to have you as a guest. Uh, it encourages us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. If you would be open your Bibles to John, the 21st chapter. John, the 21st chapter. We won't have slides tonight, so be sure and open your Bible, and we'll study along together. That is on page 962 and 963 of your Pew Bible, if you want to grab the one in front of you there. I want to mention to you that Ticker Dawsey, and he's a member at Purlington Congregation, he was converted uh, during the relief efforts there that we have been a part of uh, for several years and the, the great work that's been done there. He is a part of that harvest and we've been praying for his mother and the uh, difficult health situation that she's been in and she did pass away Friday evening. So uh, let's be sure and, and continue to remember this family in our prayer and uh, we appreciate so much the team that just got back from there and the great good that uh, so uh, many continue to do there, investing their energy and their talents in that way. Uh, God blesses us in many ways, and, and when we see the devastation of Katrina, uh, much of the world sees only devastation, but yet it's wonderful that we can see something good in the midst of that. I want to invite our high school young men and, and even college age uh, two weeks from now, beginning, I believe it's if Sunday is the 27th, July 27th, I believe it is, beginning that evening for 48 hours to Tuesday evening, 27th, 28th, 29th, we'll have a leadership conference right here, hosted by your staff at the Mount Juliet Congregation. And our goal is to give you the opportunities and to give you some information to be able to take you to places around in the Middle Tennessee area that if you're in... Uh, a leadership position in the Lord's church, you ought to know about these works and you ought to know about uh, these opportunities. And our goal is just for it to be 48 hours of resources for our young men that want to be a part of that. So be marking your calendar uh, the 27th that night and uh, we'll spend 48 hours together through Monday until Tuesday evening. We look forward to spending that time together. Uh, we're calling that chisel. So if you hear announcements about chisel, be sure and, and note those and, and go ahead and take off work or keep your calendar available for those uh, 48 hours there. John 21. It's the third time after the resurrection that Jesus has appeared to the apostles. Most of the post-resurrection stories seem to place a strong emphasis upon saying, look, he's alive. This is Jesus. But yet, on this particular story, it seems obvious that that's not the emphasis at all. The emphasis here in John 21 seems to be upon Peter. You remember that it was Peter that denied Jesus three times. Now he's going to be asked by Jesus three times, do you love me? Now, as we think about that and then also just jump forward 50 days, we see that 50 days into the future, and not even, it would be 50 days after the, the death of Jesus Christ. So it's not even that many days from John 21. It's going to be Peter that stands up as the uh, kind of natural leader of the apostles and preaches on the day of Pentecost and the great good that Peter did for the rest of his life. John 21 seems to be a very pivotal point. I got that word. Remember that from several weeks ago? Uh, it seems to be a very pivotal point where, where he was able, I believe, that we could look back and, and ask Peter, hey, what is it that, that were times in your lives that there was a huge impact made upon your life? I believe there would be several, but I believe one of those would be this night that uh, as the day broke into morning, Jesus served Peter breakfast along with 
uh, seven uh, disciples. And what a challenge. What a calling to commitment that Jesus offered to Peter that I hope uh, will sober us all. And I hope it will challenge us all that we will really learn perhaps the same message that Peter was able to learn on this occasion. When we look in John, the 21st chapter, you'll notice the seven men are mentioned or described in the second verse. And then we come to the third verse. Remember, this is a time that it seems like Peter and the others are trying to find their way. He is alive. He is resurrected, but they're still not for certain what their ministry is at this point. The Holy Spirit has not been poured down upon them. Acts, the second chapter will come soon. And so finally, Peter goes back to what he knows best. And Peter says, I go a fishing. And the other men, because he's a natural leader, the other men immediately say, well, I I go fishing with you. And so they go out and they fish. But if you notice at the end of three, they caught nothing. And so Jesus, but yet they don't know that it's Jesus. They're about 100 yards out into the water. Jesus comes and it's probably still dark. And they can't recognize at this point that it's Jesus, but they hear someone calling out. Children, verse 5, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast their net and when they began to draw it up, they were catching so many fish that verse 11 says there was 153 large fish. Now things are starting to make sense to Luke or to John. John immediately says to Peter, that's our Lord. Peter in his zealous way immediately grabs his outer garment He can't wait for the little boat to be taken into shore. That's what the other six will have to do. In his zealous way, he grabs his outer garment, he jumps off into the water, and he begins to sink or or swim or, or make his way some way to the shore. He runs up. He loves to see his Lord. That's a wonderful event when you think about what he'd gone through days earlier of denying Jesus, and the third time he denied him, Jesus made eye contact with him. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And so now, maybe at that point, we say, oh, this is good. He's excited to see Jesus. They're back together again. All is well. Well, maybe all is well. Jesus is going to use this morning to serve them breakfast and then to confront Peter to make sure that all is well. He's going to go down and see what is in the depths of Peter's heart. You know, I doubt it's a true story, but it's a cute little story that always makes me think. A a child was going to have heart surgery, and the doctor was trying to explain to the child what he would do. And as the doctor talked about going in through the child's chest, he said he talked about how he would go through, and he said, "And, and eventually I'll get to your heart. And the little child said, Then you'll find Jesus. What a beautiful thought. In a sense, I believe that's what Jesus was asking Peter. Peter, when I get down to the very, very core of who you are, when I get down to the very bottom of your faith, am I going to be there? Peter, I need to know. The Lord had a lot of plans for Peter. The Lord had a lot of expectations for Peter. Peter was needed, but Peter was only needed if he was fully committed. 
Now, it's interesting that when they caught all of these fish, Luke, the fifth chapter. Does that ring a bell in your mind? If not, just turn over and let's scan a few things out of Luke, the fifth chapter that's so coincidental. If you recall in John, the first chapter, we see the conversion of Peter. Remember, Andrew went and told him about Jesus and he became a disciple. Now, don't confuse these two things. When he became a disciple was not the very same time that he became an apostle, leaving all of the fishing nets and etc. behind. He was a disciple of Jesus for a while, and then on an occasion that is recorded here in Luke, the fifth chapter, Jesus is preaching to a crowd that's so large that they can't hear him. And so he sees Peter has just come in from fishing all night, and he's cleaning his nets. And Jesus goes over and says, can you take me out in your boat? And he's going to use the water as a natural way to amplify his voice. And so Peter does that and, and he finishes preaching his sermon and he turns to him and he says in verse four, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. It's almost like now he remembers who he's talking to. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when he did, he began to catch so many fish that his net almost broke. He had to call for his partners, the sons of Zebedee, to come over with their boat. They fill up both boats to the point that they are sinking. Now, what would you do at that point? A lot of professional fishermen would turn around and give high fives and say, this is the big, biggest fishing night we've ever had. We're going to be the greatest professional fishermen to ever live. We're going to be rich. Wow, what a catch. What a night out. Look how great this is. He sees the power of Jesus Christ. And he falls to his knees in verse 8. And he says to the Lord, depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. When Peter saw the greatness of God, he realized how feeble he was. When he saw the perfection of Jesus, he saw the weakness in himself. And it was in humility that threw him to Jesus' knees saying, I don't deserve to be in your presence. And it was from there that Jesus stands him back up and tells him at the end of verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Verse 11, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I do not think that this is coincidental. I believe this was the providence of God. Peter, tell us about when you first forsook all and followed the Lord. He would say, oh man, what a, what a disgusting night. We went out there and fished all night. and we, Professional fishermen. That'd be like dude Maddox going out and not catching anything. And, and you go out and you don't catch anything all night. And you come back in and what does the Lord say? The Lord says, go back out and fish again. Okay, just because you've said it, Lord... I'll go back out and fish again. It touched Peter so much that when the Lord says, follow me, they forsake all. You imagine the sons of Zebedee. You imagine Peter and Andrew bringing in that massive catch of fish and saying to their parents, their fathers, to whoever else is going to take care of the fishing operation, you can take that to market. It's all yours. You can have the profits. You can have the boats. You can have the nets. We're going to follow the Lord. And now, at a time when they had lost faith during Christ's crucifixion, 
at a time that hope was renewed during His resurrection, they still seemed to be losing focus. And where do we find Peter? Back to the place that he had said originally was the place that he said, I'm going to forsake all and follow the Lord. The Lord is going to call him again in John, the 21st chapter. But the Lord's not going to call him this time to follow me. And if you'll glance down at the very end of verse 19 of John, the 21st chapter, you see that eventually that's what he's going to say to him. It's another night that they didn't catch anything. It's another night that Jesus miraculously gave them a catch of fish. It's another night that they saw the greatness of God. And now the Lord's going to call him to say, are you ready to forsake all again? But before he does that, he has three questions that he wants to ask. Let's read these, if you will, beginning at verse 15, John, the 21st chapter, verse 15. So when they had eaten, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to them the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Beginning in verse 15, it's obvious that if he asks him, do you love me? He's asking for priority. Because he didn't say simply, do you love me? He said, do you love me more than these? Now we're not given in this record here by John of the things that would have been nonverbal. We're not given the tone of voice. We're not given the hand gesture. We're not given the glance of which direction. What were the eyes looking at? In other words, if you and I would have been standing there in in person, one of the other disciples, we would have probably known for sure what Jesus was talking about. Was he glancing back over the fishing boats and the nets and that catch of fish just as a while back Peter said, I'm going to forsake all this to follow you. Now is he again saying, do you really love me more than these? Maybe he made a gesture toward the other disciples talking about people. Do you love me more than you love other people? I think it's probably safe to say that John, through inspired writing, intentionally made it vague. Because you see, it doesn't matter what it is. The question still is, do you love Jesus more than these? In other words, if I asked you, put on a piece of paper the five things that you love the most. If I said, reveal your heart, what is it that you could say, here are the five things that I want more than anything in my life. The question is... Now can you say that the Lord is number one? Or whatever these things are in your heart, can you say, Jesus, I love you more than these things? Friends, here's a strong man. Here's the great apostle Peter. And the Lord is even questioning him about his priorities. 
If there's anyone here that thinks this idea of balancing priorities is easy, I don't think it's ever been easy. I think we see that great and faithful Christian men and women have always had to stop and give personal evaluations to say, are things in order? Do I really still today love Jesus more than these? Whatever the these may be. It's interesting that he talks about love. Do you love me more than these? You see, the relationship the Lord is looking for is one that has always begun, continued, and ended with love. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And when we think about the way that we are to serve, continue living, do you remember the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter? you remember the first three verses deal with the motive? And he talks about our abilities and he speaks to those that were boasting of the fact the way they could speak in tongues and that was a more important gift than anybody else's gift. And, and he uses probably an exaggeration here to make the point. He says, though you can speak in all the tongues of men and even in the tongues of angels, we don't even know of any man ever speaking in the tongues of angels. But the point is, it doesn't matter what gift you have. If you practice that gift without love, he says, it is nothing. And then he talks about if you could know all the mysteries, if you could know everything of the Scripture, if you could have faith that could move mountains, but it is without love, he says, it is nothing. And then he says, if you took and sold all of your goods, imagine doing that, sold all of your goods and you gave it to the poor, you literally sold your house, you sold your clothing, you sold your possessions, you sold all of, cashed out your CDs, and you went to inner city and you just started helping people. You say, the Lord's got to be pleased with this. And he says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If you sell all of your goods and give to the poor, but your motive is not love, he says, it's nothing. He says, you can even give your body to be burned at a stake. And if it is without love, it is nothing. Lord, what do you want? He says, I want you to love It's got to be the motive behind the relationship with the Lord. It's got to be the motive behind our life of service towards the Lord. He says, I want you to love me. Tonight I want to ask you, what do you love? Do you love religion? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love anything more than you love Jesus? Friends, if we have a pure religion, it's wonderful to love it. And we have wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ and we ought to love each other. But friends, what brings you here tonight? If it were just you coming, would you come to pour out your heart of worship to God because you love God that much? God wants to know, do you love me more than anything? But then the second time in verse 16, he asked about the love. Notice he doesn't place it on a priority here. He doesn't say more than these in verse 16. He just says or asks, do you love me? Now notice, the first two times that Jesus asked this, he's using the word agape. This is the same word that just the same night that Jesus was arrested, the same night that Peter denied Jesus, it was that same night that Jesus helped them understand that word love. He said to them in John the 14th chapter and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, Peter hadn't done so good lately. He didn't keep the will of the Lord. He denied the Lord. 
He not only wants to know from Peter, would you say you love me more than all these? But I want to ask you this. Do you have a submissive love for me? Do you have a love that says, I'll obey you? I will keep your will. But then third, as we go in to verse 17, he asked him again the third time, do you love me? And he uses the word phileo. Phileo is a word that is more of an emotion. It's more of a friend type love. Agape is a decision. It's a commitment to do what's right and best. But this other is more of where we say this is what close friends have. This is what brothers have for each other. You see, with this, we might think about loyalty. We might think about the idea, do you have my back? Will you stand with me? And notice it's this third time with Jesus asking for the third time, but then changing around and using the word that that would perhaps describe loyalty that literally causes Peter to grieve. It doesn't tell us here as he's shedding tears, but most likely Peter at least has tears in his eyes or, or maybe even now tears coming down his cheeks. And the Lord is just simply saying, I just want to know, are you going to be my friend? Can you imagine how Jesus might have felt? You remember, Peter, it wasn't that long ago you turned your back on me. It wasn't that long ago that you said you weren't one of mine. I just want to make sure that now your loyalty is genuine. It is committed. Each time when Peter would give the response, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Each time the Lord would call him to service. Notice there at the end of 15, feed my lambs. End of 16, tend my sheep. The end of 17, feed my sheep. The lambs are the young converts and the Lord's flock. The sheep are the mature ones. Each time he's saying feed, give them the, the nutrients that they need, give them the teachings of the Word of God. Sometimes he says shepherd. In other words, help look over them, help have a, a care and a responsibility for their soul. But you see, the point becomes obvious. Anyone who is wholly committed to God, God gives them responsibility to serve. There's no such thing as a person that says, I'm wholly committed to God, but I I just really don't take the time to serve. Committed folks are given the responsibility to serve. Now friends, I don't mean to paint a picture of kicking a man when he's down. But I do want us to understand how I think the the Scriptures teaches this night unfolded. You got a man that was so excited to see Jesus as those morning hours broke out that he jumped out of a boat and made his way through the water to see him. And Jesus does greet him. He does feed him breakfast. But you know, you don't see that jolliness with Jesus at this point. Instead, you see a man driving a grown man almost to tears as he says, I'm going to ask you some hard questions. Now with this man almost crying, we might think, well, at least at this point, Jesus is going to put his arm around him and say, that a boy, Peter. Read verse 18. 
please imagine how this must have been at this point. I want to suggest to you, and this is just mere speculation to try to get the mood of what might have been happening. I can imagine that the other uh, disciples and apostles sitting around, I can imagine that, that when he first asked Peter, do you love me? I can imagine almost like the fork dropping out of their hand and they're kind of glancing at each other and they're thinking in their mind, oh, we heard about Peter denying. Oh boy, I didn't expect Jesus to put him on the spot like that. And then you can imagine the second time Jesus asked him, you can imagine that they start feeling the tension. And I can just almost imagine in my mind, by the third time Jesus asked Peter, all of the disciples are just standing around staring at the, at the ground. It had to be a tough moment. And then he follows with this. 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. Notice how that verse begins, most assuredly. Peter, I saw the way you jumped out of that boat. I've seen your zeal. I've seen the way you've carried yourself wherever you wanted to go. Now I want to ask you something. Are you going to be willing to follow me? Do you love me enough that whenever it comes to days that your freedom's taken away and you can't even dress yourself the way you want to be dressed and you can't even have the mobility that you want but others are going to have to offer you that mobility? Maybe it's because he's being bound. Just put it this way, Peter. I want to know, are you willing... To be crucified. Peter, I'm not asking you in the sense that it might happen. Peter, I'm saying to you right now, if you become and stay committed a follower of me, most assuredly, most assuredly, you're going to be crucified. Do you remember just a few days before he was so afraid to watch the persecution and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that that was the very time that he denied the Lord? And now the Lord says, you think it was rough watching me? I want to know what you're made of, Peter. I want to know if now you're willing to commit to me knowing that the very scene that caused you to turn away from me will be the very same scene of which you'll die. How many of us have painted in our mind an image that the Lord really doesn't ask much of us if we're Christians because if we're Christians, we're the ones that's richly blessed and, and God just puts this border around us and He protects us and He doesn't let anything happen to us. He doesn't let anything happen to our family. He doesn't really expect us to pay where it really cost the most. And that doctrine is from Satan. The Lord we serve is a big God. And He expects big things. The Lord we serve made a commitment that said, I'll give my very life to save you. And then He expects us to be willing to give our life to serve Him. And before He would ask Peter this last time, 
Are you going to follow me? He just wanted Peter to know what it was going to cost. Most assuredly. If you knew that tonight for you to say, I'm going to be a faithful Christian no matter what the cost, and the cost was to die on a cross, would you stand with Peter? Or would you turn your back and walk away? Am I willing to give my all? Peter writes in his epistle in 1 Peter 4 about learning to have a mindset like Christ, that was willing to suffer. And what a powerful writing that is to me in 1 Peter the 4th chapter, knowing where he learned it, was back on this morning, early morning hours in John 21. Peter was a strong man, a strong person. And you know what we learn from this? passage here, if you back up a few chapters and come through chapter 21, we learn this. Strong people make mistakes. Strong people deny when they ought to be standing. They become weak when they ought to be strong. Strong people make mistakes. But number two, we learn from this story, God still holds strong people that make mistakes accountable. God's not going to look the other way because you and I have been strong in the past and He's just going to overlook it right now. He looks to the man that is now ready to rush back into service and He says, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not rushing back into this this time, Peter. We're going to make sure that you've counted the cost. Are you willing to pay it this time? And number three, we learn this. When we do it the Lord's way, strong people become stronger. Tonight, where are you? Are you right in your relationship with God? We're not asking who's perfect. We're not asking who's never made a mistake. We're just extending the Lord's invitation to say, let's all leave here saying, Lord, I will give my all to follow you. I love you more than anything. I love you with a submissive obedience. I want to be loyal to you. Yes, most assuredly, I want to be yours. If you've never been baptized into Christ or if you need to return and come home, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.